welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it's so nice to be here with you all. Um, speaking to you from the Waverly Abbey prayer room here at Waverly Abbey. I'm excited to be part of this teaching series that we're in uh, this last few weeks. We heard, of course, from Pete two weeks ago about Jesus' invitation to come be, to lean into our friendship with Jesus. And then, of course, we heard from Brian last week about Jesus' invitation to come and follow. <laughs> we learned about the way of discipleship of following our rabbi Jesus. We learned about going into the deep, casting our nets. Today, we're gonna look at Jesus' invitation to come and see. So let's turn together to John chapter one, verses 35 to 39. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. But turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. John's disciples had heard rumors of glory. Jesus' reputation had preceded him. John the Baptist, he knew that he was not the main act in God's unfolding drama. He understood he's just the opening act, the warm-up, <laughs> to get the audience pumped and primed and ready for the main act, Jesus himself coming. So John the Baptist had been bigging Jesus up for a while. <laughs> he said to his disciples, Jesus, he was before me. He surpasses me. He called him the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. It's an iconic image. It's a picture that would have evoked in John's disciples stories that are embedded in their national consciousness. It would have invoked the story of Abraham taking Isaac up for the sacrifice, Isaac being spared in the last minute because there was a ram caught in the thicket, the Lamb of God. It would evoke the story of the Passover, the, the freedom coming out of bondage uh, from Egypt into the promised land of, of putting the, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their home so that death would pass over them. Deliverance of oppression, of slavery, of being saved, the lamb of God. And John talked about this one Jesus who would take away the sins of the world. And then, of course, there's this crazy story of the moment where John baptizes Jesus. The Spirit comes down like a dove and a voice from heaven speaks, saying, This is my beloved Son on whom my favor rests. God, his chosen one the Lamb of God, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. There are rumors of glory. Could this be the Messiah? 
God's chosen one. What did that arouse in John's disciples? What kind of hopes and longings and desires? The longing, I think, for a deliverer. God, come and heal your people, save and deliver them. I wonder if they longed for someone to come and help them with their own internal world. Because remember that John was preaching a, a baptism for forgiveness of sins to help get us right on the inside. So I wonder if John's disciples were on that quest, help to face their inner conflict, their inner chaos, their inner brokenness. Maybe they were looking for someone to help them with their external world, the challenges of their lives. You have to remember at that time they were under Roman occupation. There had been recent histories of violence. But John came saying, the kingdom of God is near. Behold the Lamb of God. And as we think about that wonderful word that Christian Guy gave us last week, that invitation for all of us to, every single one of us, to step into courageous conversations. And even then Louise's words today, this encouragement that, that with our tongue as the power of life and death, eternal life, eternal life, our words can change somebody's eternal destiny. That's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Our tongues have the word of life. And so as we consider those challenges that have come prophetically to us as an Emmaus Road family, let's consider how we can follow Jesus, how we can come and see, which actually inevitably always leads us to go and do. And so just for a moment, think about your own life, your own story. Think about when you first heard about Jesus. What were the rumors of glory? What was his reputation? Why did you begin to investigate him? And maybe, actually, I'd encourage you right now, why don't you pop it in the chat? What were you looking for when you began to investigate this person, Jesus? What did you want? What were you looking for? Did you need help with your own internal world? I've heard one preacher call it my own hang-ups, my hurts, and my habits. Did you need help with your external world? Maybe life was just too big for you and you needed to reach out to a power greater than yourself. Why were you interested in Jesus? Why did you pursue a relationship with him? So let's, let's go back to John's disciples. They begin to follow him. They've heard the rumors of glory, the stories, they just start to follow. I call them lurkers. We know how to do that, right? I know how to do that. <laughs> we sort of check things out inconspicuously, watching from a safe distance. These days we follow somebody on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. <laughs> I have a friend who I'm not gonna name, but you know who you are. <laughs> Her Instagram story is always super, super funny, little bit cheeky, and she always has the best memes about cats. So I, I lurk her. <laughs> I check her Instagram story every day. But more seriously, I have people that I follow that I lurk on social media and for particular reasons. So for example, I'm still trying to figure out how not only to not be racist, but how to be actively anti-racist. And so I'm following black liturgies on Instagram and, and, and hearing voices of people who are different than I am and letting that enrich my own spiritual life and expand my thinking and my heart. <laughs> so I'm lurking. 
So who are you lurking right now? Who are you lurking? Why are you following them? What do you admire about them? What is it that you look up to in them? Is it because of their reputation? Maybe you've got some hopeful expectation. Will this person change my life? My situation? Maybe they'll have the missing piece of the puzzle that's my life. Maybe they'll have the key, they'll have the thing that will help me fight those battles I face on the inside and on the outside. So we lurk, <laughs> we follow like John's disciples followed Jesus. And sometimes you have an opportunity to get up close and personal with those that you're intrigued by, those you follow. All right, in a past life, <laughs> I used to be a professional clown, Crazy Daisy the Clown. And, and I had one, I had an agent, an agency that, that got me clowning gigs and parties. I wasn't a gospel clown. I was a regular birthday party, Christmas party kind of clown. And one day my agent said, all right, you're going to the super fancy hotel in downtown Toronto. Don't go to the front desk. Just go up straight to the room and knock on the door and they'll let you in. So I'm a little intrigued. So I've got all my clown gear. <laughs> I go to the super fancy hotel, I knock on the door, the door opens up, there's this beautiful blonde, beautiful blonde children, I'm invited into the super posh hotel room. Very, very swanky and it's enormous, it's just an enormous hotel room. So they take me to one side of the hotel room and I start doing my shtick, my little clown, you know, my songs and my stories and my little acting for this gaggle of little children at my feet. And while I'm doing my show, right in the middle of it, I recognize a voice. I hear a voice that's very familiar to me, and it's familiar to me because my husband loves action movies. If it doesn't have car chases and explosions, then it's just not worth watching in his mind. So I've seen a lot of action movies over the years. And I heard a voice that I recognized, and I, I looked across the room down to the other end of the hotel room, and standing there at the other end of the hotel room, leaning against a bar and talking with a group of friends with Sylvester Stallone. And I just froze for a moment. I thought, oh no, I'm acting. I'm doing my clowning in Sylvester Stallone's hotel room and I'm not very good. <laughs> I had that opportunity to get up close and personal. And uh, my husband, when I told him about this story later on that day, he laughed. He said, oh, you should have thrown in some, some Rocky jokes. You should have gone, Adrian. <laughs> But I didn't, I froze like a deer in the headlights, hoped he wouldn't notice me, and then just continued on with my little clown party and got out of there as fast as I could. I was lurking. And I didn't want to be confronted though with like the real person in the room. Let's go back to the disciples. And imagine with me that moment when Jesus notices them. The passage says, when the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus and Jesus turning around, saw them following and asked, what do you want? I, I'm just, it's such a confrontational question. Just imagine, okay, so maybe, maybe Sylvester Stallone is not your, you know, not your, your hero. Maybe you're walking down the street of London and your favorite footballer, the captain of your favorite football team, chose your own team, is walking down the, 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 the sidewalk in front of you. You're like, oh my goodness, this is the captain of my favorite team. So you kind of follow and then all of a sudden he turns around, confronts you and says, what do you want? 
I just imagine that moment for the disciples. How would they feel? It would be, there'd be a shock in that moment, sort of a flush of adrenaline. There'd be butterflies and, and panic. Probably they got this sort of deer in the headlights look. What do you want? What do you want? Let's just sit with that question for a minute. Let's imagine Jesus standing in front of you right now, looking at you saying, what do you want? I think of my own heart. I think, well, I'd like to be free of the bondage of self. <laughs> self in all of its guises, all my little ways that I self-destruct and sabotage, all my little hurts and hang-ups and habits. Jesus, I want to experience your friendship and your love for me. Jesus, I want a way of life that works, that doesn't exhaust and deplete me. I want to love people better, to be fully present, to be fully loving. I want to be the kind of leader who leads with clarity and courage and creativity. Jesus, I want to collaborate with you as your kingdom expands in me and through me. Jesus, I want to be with you as you are at work in the world, transforming people and situations. I want Emmaus Road. I want this family to, to be a transforming community where people find Jesus, where they find family. And they become agents of kingdom transformation to a hurting and dying world around us. What do you want? I think... It's quite, uh, it's not surprising, actually, <laughs> that the best answer the disciples can come up with in that moment of confrontation, when he swivels and goes, what do you want? They go, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Can you teach us? Where are you staying? We just want to be where, where you are, Jesus. We just want proximity. I don't know everything else that I want or need, but, but I know somehow you have the answers. Jesus, you are the key to it all. You are the way and the truth and the life. You alone have words of eternal life. Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went. They went to the place where he was staying. They hung out with him. They stayed for a while, like not just the afternoon, three whole years they stayed with him. I became a disciple of Jesus and an apprentice to his way uh, back in 1984 when I first encountered him. It's 37 years. Do the math, I know. <laughs> 37 years of coming and seeing. What have I seen in 37 years? When I stop and think about it, it's overwhelming. I've seen, oh, story, here I am, like 19 years old, 18 or 19. I'm just a baby Christian. I know hardly anything. I'm at summer camp. I'm staying with, uh, I'm in a, in a counselor's cottage with a friend. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, my friend's boyfriend came just screaming into the cottage, like screaming into the cottage, clutching his abdomen in unimaginable pain, and uh, he just, he needed help. He was just crying out for help. We had to get him to a hospital. But the problem was we were at a summer camp on an island in the middle of Northern Ontario. <laughs> so they can't just call an ambulance. And, and uh, we didn't know what to do. 
except I read in the scriptures about Jesus laying hands on people and praying for healing. So I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I just slapped my hands on his belly and I just started praying. And miraculously, whenever I prayed, whenever I had my hand on him, his pain stopped. And I thought, oh, cool, C coincidence. But then I'd lift my hand off. And he'd start screaming again, the pain would resume. And so we had this crazy journey of us in a boat, bouncing across the waves in the middle of the night, me with my hands on these guys' abdomen, praying like everything I had in me and bouncing all the way to the hospital. And, and uh, by the time he got to the hospital, the pain had resided and they did a whole bunch of tests and they couldn't find anything. And so I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what he did have or what he didn't have or what, he, what got healed or what didn't get healed. But all I knew was that he was in agony until in the name of Jesus, I laid my hands on him and asked Jesus to come and heal. The things I've seen, I've seen people radically, radically, radically changed. I've seen lives restored. I've seen whole communities come to life as, as the gospel gets embedded in the midst of it and people begin courageously telling their stories and living the kingdom in communities. So my question to you is, what have you seen? What have you seen? What have you seen this week? What have you seen this year? What have you seen in your apprenticeship, your discipleship with Jesus? What have you seen? So the disciples come and they see, they stay, <laughs> they stay three years. And the things they see, way more than what I saw, they saw the kingdom of God being proclaimed to multitudes. They saw healings, they saw deliverances, just tons of demons being driven out of people. They saw storms being calmed. But it wasn't easy. I'm sure many moments along the way, they're just, the disciples are just shaking their heads saying, what on earth have we signed up for? Because Jesus is a brilliant rabbi. He's a brilliant teacher. And, and the brilliant teacher holds this fine tension between invitation and challenge. <laughs> An invitation, come, come and see, come to me. The challenge. Go and do. Jesus, he loves to comfort the afflicted. He spends so much time in the Gospels comforting the afflicted. But he spends so much time in the Gospels afflicting the comfortable. <laughs> he knows, Jesus understands that if you're going to learn something new, you have to leave your comfort zone. This is why we called it Courageous Conversations last week. We have to leave our comfort zone if we're going to step into a new space, if we're going to learn new things. And I think of Luke 10, where Jesus sends out the 72. He says, declare the kingdom of God. They're like, oh yeah, I can talk. I can declare. He says, and heal the sick. And I could just imagine, can you just imagine being like in a class with Jesus? And he's like healing the sick and somebody gets their sight back. And then he turns to you and he says, all right, you give it a go. <laughs> I could just imagine what that would be like. It's one thing to watch Jesus healing the sick. It's another thing to have to do it yourself. I can just imagine the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and, and, and Jesus is, they're in a storm and Jesus is walking on the water and, and them looking at each other going, are you going to try it? I'm not going to try that. Are you going to, oh look, Peter tried it. <laughs> I can imagine the disciples standing outside Lazarus's grave. Lazarus, come forth. The unimaginable 
happens. The dead is raised. Kids, don't try this at home or maybe do. <laughs> and actually, it's so lovely to see further on in Acts 9, Peter gives it a go. He does it. He tries it. And God uses him to raise the dead. The disciples all the way through this three-year intensive apprenticeship to Jesus, they find themselves in impossible situations, completely out of their depth and out of their capacity. God, Jesus, either you are who you say you are and the kingdom of God is real, or I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I wonder if that's the invitation to us to live in such a way. God, either the kingdom of God is real Either you are who you say you are and can do what you say you can do or we're in trouble. Can we live that way? Stepping out of the boat as he afflicts us with this challenging invitation, not only to come and see, but to go and do. And so uh, how can we do that? How can we grow in that? Just here's a few practical things. Number one, find someone who is imitating Christ. I love this Corinthians 11 verse one. Paul, he's pretty bold. He's like, follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. And so if you wanna follow Jesus, find someone who's following Jesus and follow them. You know, I, as, as uh, back in Canada, I really felt a call from Jesus to step out of my comfort zone and learn how to love and, and to incarnate the kingdom of God in the presence of Jesus amongst the urban poor but I had no idea how to do it. I didn't have a clue. I was totally terrified. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And, um, and so I found someone who did. My friend Sue Carr, over years, I just followed her around and I made coffee and I made donuts and I handed out donuts. And then eventually I was preaching to our, our storefront street level congregation and laying hands on healing and just being with them in their lives. But I didn't know how to do it, but I found someone who did and I followed them. So look around everybody in Emmaus Row, we got all kinds of amazing people who are walking the way of Jesus, who are imitating Christ. Find one and then ask if you can help them. That's one way to grow in it. Number two, meditate on the Gospels. Meditate on the Gospels and by that I mean read it over and over and over. Ask God questions about it. Jesus, why did you do that? Jesus, what, what was up with that situation? Jesus, you want me to do that? <laughs> You can even imagine yourself in the scene a little bit like we did today when I took us through John's disciples talking to Jesus. Meditate on the Gospels. We have a simple spiritual practice that we use in morning prayer every day. We ask two questions, and I would encourage you to try this, do try this at home, <laughs> as a way to, to um, practice the way of Jesus. Maybe as a family, even with your children, Ask two questions at the beginning of each day. Question number one, who is my neighbor? And then listen, ask God to put a name of somebody in your heart. And then question number two, what does love look like? And listen and see what he says to you. And that's your assignment for the day, <laughs> to step out of the boat, to, to not only come and see, but to go and do, to have the courageous conversations. And then finally, another, another way, another practice, a spiritual practice that can help us with this is an evening prayer every day, 9 p.m., we get together to do something called an examine. And all that is, it's about 15 or 20 minutes where in quiet, in a quiet contemplative way, 
in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we review our day. I'm saying, God, where have you been at work today? In me, through me, and around me. And as we cultivate that awareness of where Jesus is at work with this daily practice, all of a sudden it's so much easier to come and see. And just as we're wrapping up, I just think it's important to add this. Acts 4 verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. These disciples, they knew what they wanted. When Jesus asked the question, they figured it out. What do you want? You. <laughs> Rabbi, we want to be under your teaching. We want to be where you are. The disciples, Peter, John, and others, they responded to the call to come and see and the challenge to go and do. But I love this. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. They were ordinary, regular people. And that encourages me because what that says is that we can all do this every single one of us. We can all come and see, we can all go and do, regardless of our age, regardless of our education, regardless of our profession, regardless whether we're working or we're not, or you know, regardless of our IQ, it doesn't matter because they've been with Jesus. I just wanna wrap up with just a few more words from John. This time, much, much later in his life, as after he's had time to reflect on this crazy drama that he'd been caught up in as he'd responded to the call to come and see and the challenge to go and do. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. I testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write, we write this to make our joy complete. Let me pray for you. Jesus, your reputation precedes you. There have been rumors of glory. <laughs> We've seen you. You've touched our lives. God, I pray that we would go on the journey that the disciples went on where we saw and then we proclaim. Jesus, you appeared. You alone have the words of eternal life. Oh Lord, we ask that you would grant us the grace to come and see and go and do, but have those, those conversations, those courageous conversations, that you would help us to to, to really leverage the, this, this tongue of ours that could speak life to people. And Lord, I'm just asking today as we wind up this talk, 
Jesus, today, who's my neighbor? Would you bring someone to mind? And Jesus, what does love look like today? How can I love this neighbor? How can I proclaim you, Jesus? You who have eternal life. Amen and amen.